0: Hi, welcome to Flywheel Fridays. Keeping up with the Federal IT News Cycle, One Conversation at a Time. I'm Alexander Bolova, Media Producer for GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is Senior Researcher Melissa Harris. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Alex. And as a special guest, we have staff writer Sarah Seibert. Sarah, thanks for joining us.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Sarah, since this is your first time on Flywheel Fridays, can you tell our listeners what you do at GovCIO Media and Research?
1: Of course, yeah. So I'm a staff writer and researcher for GovCIO Media and Research. Uh, I primarily cover the Department of Veterans Affairs, specifically focusing on their Office of Information and Technology. Uh, So there's been a lot of hype around DevSecOps, Cloud Zero Trust, And then how they're leveraging technology to improve veteran health. And then in addition to that, I cover FDA, too. So there's some through lines with that and just how government is using IT to improve public health. Very interesting. Love it. (laughs)
0: Last week was the 2022 Healthcare Information and Management Systems Society Conference, otherwise known as HIMSS, Both of you were able to attend in person, so we wanted to provide a recap of the conference, including your top five takeaways. Sarah, let's start with you. What's your first takeaway?
1: My first takeaway, I think the biggest, um, would have to be how VA and DOD, and I know ONC has been doing work with this too, but uh, efforts around the electronic health records or EHRs so I attended a few different sessions with Terry Adiram, Laura Pertula, Holly Joers, Bill Tinsten. And I think from that, uh, what I found is that ch- there's a heavy emphasis on change management. So not just implementing the coolest new technology tool to the EHR, but enabling the workforce to adopt those technologies and making sure they understand how to use them and making it part of the foundation um, and working with the workforce to standardize health records. Melissa, what are your thoughts? I know that you attended some sessions about ONC and the EHR.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so with ONC, it's a little bit different from the firm and with the VA DOD EHR adoption. So ONC has put in some foundational work in the past few years to make EHRs across the country more interoperable and connected. So most recently, ONC released its TEFCA, which is the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. So um, with TEFCA, it's a basically a giant agreement and framework for enabling different health exchange networks to operate under this common agreement or way of enabling better interoperability. So that's sort of, ONC initiated that on January 18th of this year, and they're really setting it up. But ONC has also done some other steps to encourage EHR adoption in recent years. Mickey Tripathi, the National Coordinator for Health IT, or the lead of ONC, or the Office of the National Coordinator of Health IT, mentioned that you know just about a decade ago, only 10% of healthcare providers were using EHRs, and now that's basically flopped, where it's about 90%. So there's been a really big change in just having EHRs be adopted in the past decade, and now it's a matter of making the capabilities behind it and information sharing better. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I know
1: that you mentioned interoperability a few times. And I know that's key to the EHR, but also I noticed that trend across some of the other health solutions that VA is introducing or platforms to improve veteran care. One of the cool things I remember from the conference is VA's new IVA platform. It's a interoperable blueprints that is better leveraging data to improve veteran health. So they're making data more interoperable, uh, kind of like a classic architecture for blueprints. Um, they have a data view, a semantics view, a systems view, and a business view to better illustrate how the veteran fits in the broader healthcare landscape.
0: So well, I think that brings us to our next takeaway, which is APIs are helping agencies quickly assess health data and speed service delivery. Melissa, what are your thoughts on this?
2: So... Back to the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, ONC, they've been looking to, just like with EHRs and making that more standardized and interoperable, getting standardized APIs or application program interfaces more standardized is a really key way for, I guess, down the line, empowering patients to be able to better use their healthcare data as if you're using your banking app or or whatever on your phone. So to do this, ONC has implemented rules to standardize these things called HL7 FHIR-based APIs. Fire stands for Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources, um, and HL7 is sort of the internationally recognized standard. So since ONC has implemented this rule, now you know just about every application regarding health IT and health information exchange will now have to have a feature with HL7 fire based standards behind it so while before i was talking about tefco which is more of like a a giant agreement and framework for leading to better health information exchange this goes down to more of the user level and how people can handle their data so it's really a Everything from the top to the bottom, sort of aspect. And that's sort of the ONC approach to things.
1: Yeah, I think that ONC's standardization initiatives are definitely coming through for other agencies as well. In a session I attended with VA's Dave Mazik, he talked about how uh, VA is using open API fire standards, the 21st Century Cures Act. Uh, to enable the most applications in the veteran ecosystem as possible. So I think leveraging or standardizing APIs is key not only to the user, but also to the developers. So Mazik also talked about how VA is using a sandbox approach for development, where they're using synthetic data and giving veterans a realistic simulation to test products before launching, so there's not as many errors uh, once launching a new application or tool, less downtime, and uh, VA is creating a more streamlined, modern API development experience to build services that provide veterans with consistent and reliable access to their data. One of the new tools that they released was the COVID-19 patient manager, which is a smart on fire application uh, using standard R4 fire APIs. And then that patient manager is basically a clinical decision support web application to help emergency physicians and clinicians triage patients to recommend the appropriate medical uh, treatments. So that's interesting and um, ties into how they're accelerating their response to COVID.
0: Another topic that came up at the conference is interoperability, which brings us to our next takeaway. Interoperability is key to delivering faster health services. I guess my question is, how so?
1: Yeah, so Melissa mentioned this earlier with um some of the EHR progress ONC has been making. And I think that interoperability is maybe, I might go as far to say is the largest takeaway from the entire conference that there were crossovers in every session I attended with interoperability, because I think that's critical. Having access to data, having the right people have the right access to the right data at the right time, I heard that a lot throughout the conference, uh, is key to faster delivery, more accurate decision-making. And then it also enables other technologies like automation, for example. So VA said that automation improved the speed of delivery and reduced workforce burden, consolidating technologies to reduce redundancies and costs uh, and led to developing data dashboards uh, to better display veteran health data. So for COVID-19, for example, VA leveraged these dashboards and updated them daily to reflect infection, staffing, bed capacity, and more, Uh, and interoperability was really the backbone of this effort.
2: So while I was touching a lot before on interoperability from the clinical care perspective, one other aspect that came up with interoperability at the conference is the, the struggle to make public health data more interoperable. COVID-19 really highlighted this in a certain session with uh, Dr. Dan Jernigan and Mickey Tripathi. During the conference, they talked about how they're taking some of ONC's capabilities around data standards and interoperability and using that to really help CDC with its data modernization initiative, or DMI. ONC has this set of data standards called USCDI, or the U.S. Core Data for Interoperability Standards, which is what all ONC-certified EHRs need to have as their baseline for data collection. So ONC is piggybacking off of that to form USCDI+, which is meant to expand some of those data standards to better fit certain health agencies like FDA, CDC, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So with CDC, for instance, they're looking to take some of these foundational steps that ONC has already taken to make public health data more interoperable. This will also include some initiatives on CDC's part, like helping state, local, and tribal public health systems to move to the cloud, Um, just generally modernizing. But this all goes toward the greater goal of making it easier to collect different public health data so CDC can gather it faster, understand where public health emergencies are happening with more precision. Again, COVID-19 made this a very apparent struggle. So um, it's been interesting to see and learn about how ONC is working with these different agencies who have their own initiatives to make their data more interoperable. And that was a clear piece of the HIMSS conversation last week.
0: Our next takeaway revolves around a topic that I was not familiar with up to this point, which is synthetic data, particularly leveraging it to improve digital services. Melissa, can you tell me a little bit more about synthetic data and what it is?
2: So synthetic data is information or data that's artificially made rather than collected from real world health situations or real world events. This is important for testing out different pilots and iterative stages of healthcare application development or healthcare solution development. It ensures that you're not just taking someone's personal information and tweaking with it. You can sort of test it in different stages, or you can use the data that's fake in different ways without compromising someone's privacy or whatnot. So it's a really good way to to test different algorithms and models and so forth for health IT, if that's correct, Sarah.
1: That's correct. Okay. (laughs) At least from my uh,
2: (laughs) interpretation of
1: it. Honestly, I haven't, like, I think synthetic data has really been gaining traction in the past few months. Like that's when I really started to like hear some talk about it from leaders at VA. I spoke to Amanda Purnell from VA at Hims, uh, and she was discussing one of VA's new data platforms called Arches, which is basically working to make data more accessible. So within Arches, Purnell and her team are leveraging synthetic data, removing, like you said, Melissa, the protected health information. So this approach enables innovators to still develop new solutions and services uh, without infringing on veteran privacy. And synthetic data is also being used in VA's APIs, like we just talked about, to run tests and draw accurate insights without using quote unquote real data. Uh, so, this is improving decision making, speed of delivery for healthcare services, um, and improving accuracy of insights without compromising protected information.
0: Sarah, what is our last takeaway?
1: Yeah, so VA is expanding health offerings, increasing access to telehealth, and leveraging lessons learned to combat future crises. So Neil Evans and Leonie Hayworth from VA actually joined me on HealthCast, uh, and they discussed how VA was really well-positioned to respond to COVID-19. So VA has been using technology to address veterans' health for decades. Uh, Evans actually told me that the first telehealth session occurred in the 1960s with two-way black and white television. Uh, So since then, VA has evolved applications like My Healthy Vet, which was in place before COVID, and expanded it to include some of its covid digital health solutions so veterans can schedule appointments online refill prescriptions view their health records send secure messages to their teams Uh, and va has built upon this platform to continue to deliver care for veterans so one of the things since covid uh, that va has added is booking vaccines through two-way text messaging so the VA will text a veteran saying, hey, you know, do you want to book your vaccine appointment? And it's increasing that access so veterans don't have to go through as many steps to get to the vaccine. VA has also accelerated its transition to cloud by making, quote unquote, limitless, limitless connections to veterans and expanding its teleservices, which is what Hayworth explained to me. So they're working really to make a virtual experience feel like an in-person experience. While well, all of us have dealt with the shift to this virtual environment, that VA has been training the workforce and expanding the use of innovative technologies to ensure that veterans are still receiving access to the same quality of care, if not better. Melissa, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you that Telehealth was a huge aspect of the HIMSS conference, especially coming out of COVID-19, where telehealth really took off. Like you said, it was on the rise before. I had no idea it was around in the 1960s, but you know, it's only upwards from there. So there were a few different ways I saw telehealth emerging, um, not only on the you know the government side, but on the showroom floor across the conference. There were so many different solutions, tablets remote monitoring devices, all sorts of stuff like that. So the industry is definitely moving in a way where they're enabling, if not just the chatting with your provider over, you know, a video call, just different ways to do remote monitoring, to check people's vitals, at-home care. But when it comes to some of the government speakers that we saw at the conference and spoke with, while you were touching upon how VA has been pioneering in telehealth and has really expanded some capabilities with COVID-19, there have been some other organizations that have also been um, leveraging telehealth to help amid the pandemic. So just focusing on the whole COVID-19 aspect for a second, the Army's Telemedicine and Advanced Technology Research Center, or TATRIC, normally provides these solutions for combat care and all of that, but they were tapped during um, the pandemic to do this all-of-government response. So I spoke with Patrick Science Director Matthew Quinn, um, who started at TATRIC right as the pandemic was happening, and he was tapped with his team to create this National Emergency Telecritical Care Network, also known as Netson. We heard about a lot of provider burnout throughout COVID-19, and While that was the underlying problem, one of the other problems was that there was a shortage of critical care expertise across the country. So NetSim was stood up to enable telehealth care across the country to let people who were experts in critical care to provide expertise all over the country using mobile devices like cell phones, tablets, computers, So that, you know, if one site in New York City was really struggling with a COVID-19 outbreak or lots of people needed this critical care, you could tap experts from all over the country to sort of help on the ground without actually being on the ground. So um, what's interesting about that is uh, when I spoke with Matthew on HealthCast about this, he mentioned how... He's working with HHS's Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, or ASPR, to make Netsin not just a project, but a program so that it has longer term funding. And that way the infrastructure behind Netsin can be around to help respond to maybe if there's a future epidemic or pandemic or even natural disaster response. So that's an exciting moment to look out for. Outside of the Army, we've also seen how telehealth, like how you were mentioning with the VA, has been coming into the civilian healthcare space as well. I spoke with the director of telehealth and CIO from the Harvard Medical Faculty Physicians at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center over in Boston. They've set up a new telehealth capability amid the pandemic to help triage emergency room situations, where if people didn't really know if they needed to go into the ER, maybe didn't have any urgent COVID situations or you know needed to consult before deciding whether to go into the emer- emergency care setting, they could tap the telehealth solution and consult with a physician before going there, which really helped out providers on the ground at hospitals, dealing with COVID-19 and other emergency care situations just amid the pandemic. And they touched upon how it was really helpful. So not only are we seeing telehealth boom across federal health capabilities and agencies, but also in the civilian setting as well, which is really fascinating to look out for and was a huge theme at HIMSS.
0: That wraps up our coverage of the 2022 HIMSS Conference. And that's all for today's Flywheel Fridays. If you enjoyed this episode, keep the conversation turning by subscribing and leaving a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We'll be back next week for a recap of our infrastructure health IT event. Until then, I'm Alexander Bolova.
1: I'm Melissa Harris. I'm Sarah Seibert.
0: Thank you for listening. Flywheel Fridays along with GovCast, HealthCast, and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released weekly across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform, and if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.
1: So Orlando was fun and I did like walking around shopping with Melissa. Uh, However, I did not like that now you have like, you know, those you would like put a penny into this little crank machine and it'll give you like an imprint of wherever you're going. They had one of those at the store that we were at. And it's just like, you swipe your credit card now and crank it and it'll give you like a little token but it's just a piece of copper, and it's not a penny anymore, so it's not a special that's depressing. Some some things in tech <laughs> have just gone too far, and the crank, crank a penny is one of them.
2: <laughs> I, I, for one, got, like, they were different Disney characters, and I got the alien from Toy Story, so I was pretty satisfied with that. It is, like,
1: so flimsy now, though. Like, it's not even the thickness
2: of a real penny there's no character to it. I feel like the consistency of the the copper was like, you know, heavy duty aluminum foil. Yes. It's like that. Like maybe just a teeny bit more sturdy, but still yes. very flimsy. Yeah, it's extremely underwhelming and for a dollar,
1: you would think they could give me 1 cent back. <laughs>